Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. And uh, wow, what a week we've had in, well, the world, really. Uh, but a good week for UCF sports, despite what other things have been going on. Uh, it hasn't been, Eric. It's been, uh, it's been, you know, thank God for UCF, right? Gives us something good to talk about. <laughs> it's always wild. And, uh, you know, despite the, you know, whatever people might think what's going on elsewhere and non-sports stuff, it's always good to either let out your frustrations or excitement or, or that's the beauty of sports. It's always, there's something going on and it always gives you distractions we and need always UCF now more than ever. I'm just not, <laughs> I'm just not. Oh yeah. Sports. All right. Uh, you can hit you can hit us up on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, uh, as well as BlackAndGoldBanneret.com. And also uh, hit us up uh, with a subscription on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So um, we got a lot to talk about this week. Big, huge men's soccer news, which kind of came out of nowhere. Very good news. Uh, we'll also uh, take a look at football, who is one win away from bowl eligibility one year after going 0-12. We'll be able to reflect on that as they are big favorites against Cincinnati at home. And then we'll also hit up some uh, volleyball news as well uh, with uh, UCF coming down the stretch there. So, All right, but the first thing we're going to talk about is men's soccer, who I got, I got to be honest with you, Eric, I had us pretty much written off at the end of the at the end of the season. It's been a tough year for men's soccer. Um they finished the regular season 5 and 10, but they came into their final match of the season, senior day on uh, last Saturday, November the 5th against Cincinnati right before the football game. And they were in a position where if they won and if two dominoes fell, I believe it was uh who was it? it was they needed SMU to lose and they needed, I think, what was it? Temple. 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 That's right. Temple. They need Temp- Temple, Temple to lose. lose to USF, ironically. Yeah. And then they need SMU to lose or draw because, as it, you know, that, that also would have helped UCF possibly. Or a draw. And they had a mathematical shot at getting into the number four seed for the American Athletic Conference tournament. Well, lo and behold, Saturday afternoon, they beat Cincinnati uh, one to nothing. Uh, lone goal to... Uh, Matias Puzolo, who, by the way, finished uh, the finish finisher, they call him, American Athletic Con- Conference Offensive Player of the Year this year. So congratulations to Matias. Well-deserved. On that, on, that deser- on that, yes, indeed, well-deserved. Six goals in conference play, 10 on the season. He gets the goal that puts UCF over the top. They hold on, and you were there as they defeated Cincinnati. And what was your sense when you were there? That was interesting. It was cool to be out there, and and, and it was a lot of ins- fans were kind of antsy. You know, they were kind of like you know they wanted to get a good. All- it's a senior day, first of all, right? So you got motivation there, based on the three seniors. You've got okay, we need a win, and then see what happens, type of thing. And they they kind of controlled the match. You know, they got the goal early in the first half, and they had opportunities to really put the game away and extend it, but they kept missing. And I think there was kind of like antsy, like oh come on, oh you know, yeah. but. Yeah, I thought the guys played very well. They were very control. Uh, Cincinnati really didn't had like one threat in the second half, and that was about it. And it was a big win, and you know it was a huge win. Uh, you could sense the relief on Coach Cunningham. He 
and the players, the players celebrated with the, the, the fans afterwards. And in particular, that group, the, the night watch. And then I think it was, you know, the, the first one, Hey, let we, you know, we got, we sent the seniors out really on a good note, uh, in your home match. And then the other thing is, Hey, we, let's see what happens. Right. And, uh, and I remember I was there and I was texting you. I was like, what are the scenarios again? You know, and I had to go check the standings. And so here's what happened. Yeah. UCF yeah. gets the victory. They got to nine points in the standings. And so, like we said, they needed Temple and SMU to lose or draw. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened that night on seven o'clock. So in the span of eight hours, UCF jumps from yeah. last in the, in the men's soccer standings. To fourth, and qualifies for the American Athletic Conference title as they both they and Cincinnati both finished with nine points, but UCF got the tiebreaker, so they uh, outpace the Bearcats and they and they get into the tournament five and ten overall record, but three and four in the conference, good enough for nine points. Uh, the teams that got in from the top to the bottom: USF, Tulsa, UConn, UCF. So the Knights play the Bulls, top seeded, nine six and two overall, six and one in the league. In the American Athletic Conference uh, semifinal, which is Friday, Veterans Day, uh, November the 11th, it's the nightcap, 7 p.m. And uh, by the way, you can watch the tournament games on the American Digital Network at theamerican.org. First game is at 4:30 on Friday between the three-seed UConn and the two-seed Tulsa. The uh, tournament is in Tampa, by the way, at Corbett Stadium. Uh, and then UCF and USF, a little. Uh, a little extra uh, war on I-4 action, this time with the uh, American Conference uh, championship slot on the line, 7 p.m. in that second semifinal. UCF gets a, sh- uh, a shot to do it. Uh, they lost to USF in, uh, in a one-goal game and earlier in the year in, uh, in, a, in a game where they were really uh, fraught with injuries. The Knights still fought, and, uh, fought but lost 2-1. Uh, to one. And uh, But before we did this, uh, Eric, I wanted to show you this because we had I we went ahead and we got Brian Cunningham uh, earlier this week and he talked about uh, a number of things including obviously you know the just the crazy season that they've had you know they've had three matches canceled due to weather and then all of a sudden they kind of you know everything falls into place and they get this sort of extra life it's like they get the green mushroom right the one up and yep. here they are in the tournament playing USF a team that um I got a good feeling about this one, believe it or not, because, uh, you know, it looks like the Knights are um, primed and ready f- to go for this one. So uh, here he is, the head coach of the UCF Knights men's soccer team, Brian Cunningham. Joining me now, head coach of UCF men's soccer, Brian Cunningham, fresh off of a season-ending victory over Cincinnati that got UCF into the top four in the conference, and they will play uh, USF in the first round, the top seed USF in the first round of the American Athletic Conference Men's Soccer Championships. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm feeling great. Um, obviously, certainly happy for our players as they've been just absolutely resilient all season, probably in 10 years of coaching and, and head coach here at UCF and 20 years coaching in general, one of the craziest I've ever seen in terms of you know the injuries that have plagued us and, and the guys stepping up at different times and um, and the good thing is we're, we're getting healthy and we're, and we're peaking at the right time, which is postseason play. So you guys, you know, I mean, let's let's face it. The you know, the numbers are the numbers, right? You finished the season five and ten overall, but three and four in the league. And you won two of your last three in the conference to actually 
get into the tournament. So let's go back to this uh, this match against Cincinnati. It was senior day. You were graduating three seniors. It's always emotional. I hate senior day because everyone's a basket case, right? So um, what did you tell the guys before that match, considering that a victory and then a couple dominoes fall and you and your season's still going? Yeah, it was actually before that. It was, you know, after we lost to, you know, Temple on the road, um, the guys were pretty down in the locker room. And, and I told them that, you know, we weren't done yet. And, you know, we kind of convinced them, like, let's just have a good week of practice and, and hope that fate's on our side. But let's have the right mentality going into the game against Cincinnati, which is all we can do is win. And, um, and then just hope that, you know, kind of fate was on our side. I mean, I thought that we'd had a, a pretty solid year. We had done pretty well in the conference. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at our season as a whole, um, you know, we've had 13 of our 15 games are, are one goal games. And, um, you know, Cincinnati was, was no different as we were able to pull ahead with a, with a one nothing victory. How did you feel when you, that evening after you got the results back? And, and how did the guys feel in particular uh, when they saw, well, wow, coach was right, we're not done yet? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, this is one of the best groups I've ever had. I mean, to, to start the season we had with, with the record that we had early in September, it would have been easy for these guys to quit, um, you know, and they didn't. I mean, I, I know it sounds, you know, kind of cliche a little bit that these guys kept working and fighting, but, I mean, there wasn't a moment at practice this entire season that these guys didn't come out and work hard and give their all, um, that I didn't think that they were bought into the process and what we were trying to do here. Um, we were still, you know, with all the injuries, we're a fairly young team, and when at any point we're starting five freshmen and four sophomores. Um, and, you know, so I think from my standpoint, I, I couldn't be happier for a group. You know, when you get into coaching, it's not about you. It's about the players. And I'm really happy for our seniors to, to get to another um, semifinal. And, and hopefully this will be our year that we, we push it over the top and, and win the championship. Tell me about USF. You got them in the first round, top seed. You guys, uh, you guys were, again, involved in – they were one of those one-goal games, Brian, but you get another shot at them. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we love the matchup, to be quite honest with you. We're, we're, we're going to be at full strength playing them, um, you know, with, with everybody getting back healthy, which I think is important. Um, this this week has been really good to us in terms of having no midweek game and just kind of just being able to focus on USF solely. They're a very good team, but like I said, we, we like the matchup. I mean, it's, they, they are the number one seed. They are going to be playing at home, but obviously there, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that as well. And I feel like our players are nice and relaxed. I think they have a little chip on their shoulder from the last time we played South Florida. Um, and I think we're going to go in there and, uh, and get a victory. You think that there's, I, I know you touched on this a little bit, but is there in the locker room a little bit more urgency? I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, it's, it's a conference tournament game, but the fact that it's USF, does that put up a little bit extra with the guys? You know, it's it's kind of a mixed locker room. We have we do have some, the, you know, a big group of returners who who really value this game, and I think our younger players are now starting to to understand what this rivalry means and the, and the history of this game. I mean, we've beaten them in the NCAA tournament. They've beaten us in the NCAA tournament. We've beaten them at their place. They've beaten us at our place. Um, and I think our returning players understand that, and I think our our you know our new guys are really starting to embrace you know, what this game is all about, not just for soccer, but, you know, for both universities as well. Tell me about Matias Puzolo. He finishes the uh, he finishes the regular season second in the American in goals behind Jorge Gomez-Sanchez of Temple. Uh, ten goals of his own, double figures, plus five assists. Um, 
how instrumental has he been for your team this season in getting you to a point where now you are a couple wins away potentially from a conference championship? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been a great year for Matthias. I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of view it as it all starts last spring. Um, you know, he and I sat down at the end of last season, and while he had a productive um, fall in terms of minutes in, the, in 2015, um, you know, he really didn't get the goals and the assists that I thought maybe he could have. You know, so we set some pretty concrete goals that he needed to get through in the spring, which he did, and some areas he needed to improve upon you know, going into the summer and then coming back to us. And, and all credit to the young man because he did it. I mean, he put the work in, and, and it's great now as a coach. It's, it's one of the most rewarding things to see um, the little things in his games that he's done that, like, we noticed as a staff and, you know, that I, I spotted on video and kind of showed him and convinced him these are areas he needs to improve upon if he wants those stats. And, and credit to him for kind of believing in that process and, and putting in the work. Um, and, 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 you know, not just scoring goals, but getting assists and obviously logging a lot of minutes for us. I think he's probably second or third on the team in minutes logged um, from a midfield position and, and a position that, you know, requires a lot of workload. Your three seniors who you sent off in their final uh, home game uh, the other night, Diego Basilar and Javier Clavijo and Phil Hicks, how much have they con- contributed to your program? I mean, not just over the four, last four years, of course, but to this season in particular, and now that they have a chance to get that, uh, to get to that conference championship, do, uh, how much of a sense of urgency do they have now? Um, a lot. You know, we talked about that today at practice. I mean, it's it's crazy. In my ten years here, we've been to eight conference tournaments. We've been the five semifinals now, um, and it sounds like they come easy, but they don't. And you know, Javi was there in 2013 when we went on that magical run. Um, and, and, uh, and ultimately lost to UConn in the semifinal, and, and he hasn't been back since until this year. So it's kind of what we instructed the team today, and, and the seniors are trying to explain to him is that you know these these things don't grow on trees, and you got to really value this week of practice and and really value this experience, and 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 that's where they've been great for us is just for the younger players to learn from them and and how much they care about this program and, and how much they value every game and every minute and. You know the how much they appreciate walking through those gates out to our training field every day, um, because you know ultimately their days are numbered doing it. And I think they they really preach that to the younger players that it does go by fast, and and you got to make the most of your uh, opportunities. So you head out to USF for this first round game. My last question for you: Do you have the pepperoni? Did you have the pepperoni and bacon pizzas after Senior Day? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that's my that's my specialty. I would I wouldn't let that go by the wayside. And obviously, I wouldn't say we're we're keeping them on ice for uh, for Friday night, but um, we we certainly have the uh, the order ready to go. And hopefully, we're we're celebrating back at the hotel and and getting ready for you know championship Sunday. I think this this group really deserves to be in that final. And you know, no matter who we play, but you know, first we gotta we gotta really hit the ground running against South Florida. Um, and get off on the front foot, and, and hopefully, like I said, we'll be celebrating um, you know, a little run in the tournament here. All right, well, we'll be watching on Friday night when you guys head down to Tampa. Head coach Brian Cunningham, UCF men's soccer, once again, congratulations on making it to the conference tournament. Best of luck, and uh, hopefully we'll see you back here on Sunday, maybe with a trophy in hand. Who knows, right? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right, thanks, Brian. And once again, we thank Coach Cunningham for uh, joining us on the program. Wish him luck against USF. The Knights again play 7 p.m. on the American Digital Network on Friday 
uh, November the 11th uh, against USF at USF. It's going to be tough, but I think it's doable. Uh, winner of that match plays the winner of UConn and Tulsa in the championship game again in Tampa. That's Sunday, November the, thir- November the 13th, uh, which will be at noon live on ESPN3, tape delayed on ESPNU at 4 o'clock uh, that day. So real quick, Eric, what do you think their chances are? It's good. You know, we talked about this all season. Just get into the conference tournament with all the adversity with the schedules and, and, and all the, the, the tough, you know, cancellations and just not able to get into a, a rhythm and all that. Just get in. And now you're in and play your two best soccer matches of your, of the season and you're going to get to the NCAA tournament and you don't have to fly to go to, to play in this tournament. You're going right. to Tampa and it's a team you're familiar with. It's a team you know. You're going to get your fans to travel up there. Um, and I think you got to feel like, wow, you know, we got in, we got nothing to lose. You know, everybody's going to pick USF. Everybody's going to pick so and so. Um, you know, you could play with this team. I mean, it was a one go, could have gone either way type of match when they played earlier this year in Orlando. So there's nothing to lose. I mean, and I think that's the thing you're excited about if you're the players. And I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup, a, an interesting chapter to this rivalry. And uh, you got to feel like, let's be honest, if you could upset USF at home, now all of a sudden you're playing the championship game on Sunday in Tampa, you're probably going to have more fans than your opponent if you could get to that point. It reminds me a lot, Jeff, of UCF women's soccer back in 2011. And this was Amanda Cromwell. And you know this, having worked at UCF and knowing Amanda, the big bug, you know, the big storyline with Amanda Cromwell was for a while, you know, I had all these great teams, but she couldn't, you know, she couldn't get over the hump as far as that round, yeah. get to the round of 16, right? Get to the round. And it was always a, somebody was in their, you know, on their way. And, you know, I remember, you know, that year that, you know, the, the format changed for the soccer tournament where the, 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 you know, UCF was able to host a first round game, for example, instead of what it used to be, which is you go to Florida, for example, and play two games there. You would play your first round game there and then you would probably have to play Florida in the second round. The, the format changed to where UCF had to play a first round game and then they get to go to Florida for the second round in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. So UCF won their game, the opening round match, uh, that year. I think it was FIU they played and beat. And then they went to Florida and for the second round game. And they beat them. They finally beat the Gators. That was a 3-2 game, wild game. They won, and they went to the round of 16, and they played North Carolina. But they played North Carolina in Gainesville. Yeah. So guess what happened? It became like a de facto UCF home game. And Aline Reyes, who obviously played for the Brazilian national team this year in the Olympics, is arguably the greatest goalie in UCF soccer history. He's now a goalie coach at UCLA with Coach Cromwell. Uh, they went to penalty kicks. And I still have that vision, that photo. You could probably Google it where she makes that save against North Carolina to win the game. And they got to the Elite Eight. Got to the Elite Eight. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. they fell short against Wake Forest. But my point is, the reason I bring that up is I felt that because that game was in Gainesville in a weird way, which was ironic because so many seasons for Coach Cromwell ended in Gainesville, that it actually benefited them when they played North Carolina. And, yeah, and I it think was in a strange place. Correct. Exactly. And so that's why if Coach Cunning, if, the, if this group can beat USF, I, I would almost be willing to say that the winner of this game will probably end up winning the conference title. They they, they got to feel really good about their chances. So it, that's what's so 
I think it works out. Whereas, you know, let's say Connecticut would have hosted the tournament and you had to go all the way to Hartford. There's no advantage there. Right. But because it's it, it is, as weird as it sounds, and I know it's their rivals, and, and certainly it's going to be a tough game. USF won the regular season title. They're a tremendous program. So let, let's not – I don't want to make it like, oh, you know, it's going to be easy. But what I'm saying is if you can some, get through that hurdle, I think the championship game in a weird way is a lot easier than that first game because I think they'll have a lot of advantages going into that. Well, I hope so, and I know Brian does too. So uh, we wish him luck on that one. Uh, like I said, hey, they have the conference offensive player of the year this year, Matias Pizzolo. Uh, Don't you agree? I, I, we're going to see him at the next level, aren't we? We're going to see him at the. MLS. I hope so. You know, that, see, that's the thing that Brian I, I don't think has gotten enough credit for is the is the players he's developed over time. He's got a pretty decent stock of MLS kids. Yeah. That's Sean Johnson. Sean Johnson back in you know, Chicago, who's actually in the U.S. men's national team pipeline for a while. Um, He's with the Chicago Fire. Uh, yep. You've got Warren Cravel in the league. You've got uh, Brown. Uh, you got you got now the most recently Haji Berry, who's Haji with Orlando Berry. City. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Um, strong showing for UCF men's soccer. And this is a – and, you know, this team, too, I mean, he's uh, – they – they fought so hard to get to this point. I mean, they fought and they scraped, and I just love teams like that that they're able to play that they're able to play like that. So, and now they get another shot at USF. I haven't been able to confirm whether or not there's some extra bonus points on the uh, line for the War on I four trophy on this. One. I would assume they are. I know. I remember when that came out. They said they would possibly be yes. I don't know how many, but I think there could be a possibility of that. I would be. Uh... Surprise if there wasn't, to be honest. I, I believe I remember saying, hey, if they play in postseason, there could be some added deals, uh, deal there. By the way, we forgot Romario Williams, by the yeah. way. Romario. He, he went in the, he was in the MLS. He was a third pick in the MLS draft a couple of years ago. Uh, I mean, it's just been a pretty amazing job what he's done there. Uh, he, Williams, in fact, is with the Montreal Impact, who are in the uh, conference finals in the MLS playoffs, uh, going on right now. So, uh, it just keeps going and going. I mean, you know, we mentioned Warren Cravel, who's with Toronto. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin George, who's with the Columbus Crew. Um, it, it's been it's pretty good. amazing. And and and, you know, I know some fans are in a way. Some fans, I know some fans have talked to about is you know that I was at the game, and that's the you know some of them are frustrated because clearly they can recruit top talent. But they haven't, you know, they they had that great run, Jeff, where they made the NCAA tournament back to back years. Uh, I believe it was 2010, 2011, and they haven't. They've kind of they've run into some bad luck uh, in the last yeah, few years have. with you know injuries or or just you know lack of positions in certain areas. It, it's just been very interesting, you know, just haven't been able to put it all together. But clearly, uh, Brian has shown that he can recruit, and uh, you know. Hopefully they can put it together this weekend in Tampa and really and make you know like like I said, play your two best. You get your best soccer this weekend. You could be you going to the tournament. That's yeah. been always the goal. So once again, thanks to Brian Cunningham for joining us. And uh, hey, good luck against Tampa. Once again, that's seven thirty p.m. Est- or excuse me, seven p.m. estimated start time on the American Digital Network, which is available via YouTube Friday, November the eleventh in the Men's Soccer uh, American Athletic Conference Championship. All right. Stick around. We're back after this. 
Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, let's move over to football. Knights, big win at home. Get the job done against Tulane. Eric <laughs> Lopez, 37-6. to And this was what was unusual about this game. Uh, three defensive touchdowns on returns. Two interception returns. Uh, one by uh, Shaquille Griffin. One by Drico Johnson in the fourth that kind of sealed up the game. Uh, and Rico Johnson actually had uh, two touchdowns in the game because he had a 30-yard fumble return in the uh, third quarter, which uh, put UCF up uh, by, you know, it was 7-6 to six at the half. Very slow-paced first half, and then Johnson's fumble return kind of broke it open, and then the second defensive touchdown by Shaquille Griffin in the third kind of sealed it up, 20-6 to six after three, and then, uh, and then that was pretty much it. It's a nice score... Th- <clears throat> excuse me, 30 points in the uh, second half to wipe out Tulane, who's 0-5 in the league. 37-6 was the final. And lo and behold, the Knights, 5-4, 3-2 in the league. Um, still a very, very, very remote glimmer of hope for the East title. They would need Temple to lose twice. Um, but the Knights right now are one win away from bowl eligibility. Which, let's stop and reflect on that for a hot second here. This is a team that was 0-12 last year and was a complete disaster on all sides of the ball. Basically gave up on the season. And to get to a point where now, with if you win their next game against Cincinnati, to be bowl, to be bowl eligible, let's step back and think for a second. This is a pretty remarkable feat that they're even this good right now, isn't it? Well, it is, and I think specifically the defense. I thought it was fitting defensively. Three touchdowns. I mean, they carried that game. They were the whole story. Uh, I, it's one of the weirdest games I've ever seen. I mean, I got to sit in the stands, which, first of all, one of the most perfect days of weather that I've ever remembered for a UCF game. That was oh, beautiful, yeah. Jeff. Remember, this was the uh, makeup game for yeah. Uh, yeah. for the storm, for, for the one that was moved back from the hurricane, and they yeah. only played yeah. it on ESPN3 yeah. and whatever. We kind of got a little screwed on the TV, but... Um, but still, got the job done. But it was just a beautiful day. I mean, I actually st- uh, sat in the stands, and it was beautiful. And the UCF, I love the all-black look. It kind of, I don't think it's what they were shooting for, but, you know, it was funny. For me, it, it reminded me a little bit of what UCF used to wear, like, in the 80s, in the 90s, early 90s, you know, when they would go all-black when they were in 1AA. And it was kind of, I mean, I don't think that was the intent, but it just kind of, for me, it was just like a flashback, you know, having seen yearbook photos and highlights from old days. Like Sean, I was like, hey, Sean Beckham out there wide receiving, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, so that was cool. And, but, you know, it was interesting. The defense dominated. I mean, really, if you think about the six points, I mean, it really wasn't the defensive fall. The six points were set up by, uh, uh, Adrian Killings fumble in the first possession of the ball game. And Tulane took the ball over in UCF territory had a short field and they, you know, they'd convert it into a touchdown. Other than that, I mean, UCF dominated, uh, and put three touchdowns on the board, which was funny because 
they, uh, the, all those came in the second half and then most in the third quarter, they were on the field the whole time because of that. Cause they kept scoring. The offense could barely get on the field. Yeah. Uh, the only, the Knights only form. had the ball for 20 minutes and 10 seconds in the game. It was a two to one right. time at possession advantage for Tulane. Well, it, it, it's what we expected. Tulane was going to try and ground it out and, you know, that, but they just, they couldn't, uh, make big plays against that defense. Yeah. And, uh, it, there's a moment, Jeff, and I'm sure that the audience, if they haven't seen it, I'm sure you'll put this. And UCFnights.com uh, did a great job of this, and I love the footage. They had a footage from the locker room, mm-hmm. and where Scott Frost gave the game ball to coach uh, to the defense and gave it to the co- defensive coaching staff. Yeah. And one of the things I like about Scott that has impressed me, he is not shy to give credit to the other people. Like that was the first thing he said in the post game. Give the credit to the defensive staff, Coach Nanner, and the rest of the group. They deserved it. He gave him the game ball, and he's like, "Give him." They, it, you know what I mean? Like, how many? It, 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 it's all. It's not about him. It, 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 and he is not. He is going to yeah. give his staff a ton of credit because he was honest about it. He's like, you know what? Offensively, we just didn't. You know, we we struggled. We we didn't get some things done, uh, and they didn't. They did struggle. So, but oh, go ahead. But the defense picked him up, and he's quickly to point that out and, and give it to the staff and, and they've done a tremendous job. I believe they're like, you know, they're in the top 30 in a lot of categories defensively. 31st uh, in total defense. Bear yeah. in mind, 103rd in total offense, which is a bit of a surprise. This is the one that I like red zone defense. The Knights are ninth and ninth best in the country. Ninth best. That's a really impressive performance. Uh, Considering how badly how badly people were scoring on them in the second half of last season, and we always thought this philosophy would it would, would be this way: bend but don't break, right? Yeah. And boy, they have bent at times, but they do not break. And uh, they were able to hold Tulane quite well. I thought that they were going to have some problems in the rushing game in rush defense. Uh, it turns out that they were quite. Uh, dominant. Now, I'm a little concerned about the offense, though. Mackenzie Milton, 9 of 20, 85 yards with a pick, gave way to Justin Holman, who actually scored the final touchdown of the game on a uh, one-yard uh, one yard touchdown run. Um, that capped off an 80-yard uh, drive uh, late in the fourth. That was just pretty much the cherry on top. But um, when you look at the Cincinnati game coming up next, you know they're struggling, 4 and 5, but I don't think they're quite struggling as poorly as Tulane is right now. The Knights are still a 12-point favorite. Um, you know, by the way, interesting number here. UCF is a favorite, 4-1 against the number, 7-2 overall record against the number. So a little nugget for you to write down, the, write down there. But um, this is a Cincinnati team that's coming off of uh, losing four of their last five, lost their last game at home against BYU. And Tommy Tuberville got into some hot water uh, after this past weekend. So it's a disappointing loss to BYU. The Bearcats at home only score three points. As he's walking off the field, the fan starts heckling him. And he stops and screams. There's a video of it. You can look it up. Um, starts screaming at the fan and says, uh, hey, why don't you get a job? <laughs> I think the fan was yelling at him, Tommy, you're stealing money from this school. Yes. Yes, and, that's uh, exactly. Why don't you go get a job? So he had to he had to issue a public apology for this, and uh, I think the university released a statement with that apology apology on his behalf. But things seem to be unraveling 
with Cincinnati right now. And they were expected to have a very good year. Um, it hasn't worked out that way. Um, their only win in the last five games was against East Carolina. But here they come into UCF, and the Knights on an upward trajectory facing the Bearcats, what I believe is a downward trajectory right now. Knights know that they can get they can seal up bowl eligibility at home because the next game at home is going to be quite difficult against Tulsa, who's leading the West right now in in uh, in the American. So what's the what's the outlook on your end right now from what you see against this uh, Cincinnati team? This is a, this is a game that I actually at the start of the year had this as a probably as a guaranteed L. Now uh-huh. we're favored by twelve points, and I'm sure. actually a little scared of that number being a little high. What about you? Uh, no, I feel good because again they've had issues in the start of the offensive side. They had a quarterback carousel. Their Gunner Keel now is in the gate is their starter. Their Halen Moore, Aiden Moore started the year. And and, what a mess for Gunner Keel. He was expected to be an yeah. NFL prospect at the start of the year, <laughs> and yeah. it has just all come apart. Well, he's had a wacky career. I mean, just across the board, but that's a whole other story. But um, look, they're having struggle. I mean, they they were held to three points in that loss to BYU, which is the game you were referring to this past Saturday at home. And again, to go back to what we just talked about, this UCF defense, I have the utmost confidence. Eric Janander, by the way, I want to point this out, should get consideration for the Ryan Broyles. Uh, uh, what's the award for the top assistant coach? Frank Broyles. College? Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking Ryan Broyles, the former receiver for Oklahoma for some reason. But you're right. It's the Frank Broyles Award. He should get consideration for that. Um, and credit to Scott Frost, too, again, because let's be honest, Jeff, remember – when he announced his hire of Eric Chenander, everybody was like, who? Like, what? Yeah. You know, who is this guy? Right? Everybody's like, who is this staff? And um, the guy was a linebacker coach at Oregon. And, man, I mean, he's done a fantastic job. Granted, I know some people are saying, well, is that because – is it because of him or is it because of the personnel that he has? And I say it's both. I definitely think we've learned, Jeff that this defense had more talent than I think they showed last year or performed last year. Uh, but I also think that Eric Chenander has done a great job in, A, giving this defense from a mental standpoint a belief that they could play well, okay, and, B, to put them in the position to be successful. And so uh, he's done a tremendous job, and he's actually my favorite now because his birthday is one day – is a day before me. <laughs> like, we're the same age. <laughs> We're the By same a few age. hours when you think about it, right? He was born on December 19th, 1979. I was born on the 20th. I'm going to have to like bring that up when I talk to him at some point. I really, I mean, that's, so I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what he has done. And I don't want to short, you know, I mean, the whole defensive staff, I mean, going to Travis, you know, the, the, from, you know, Travis Fisher and on and on and on. But he has been a phenomenal hire, a phenomenal find. And, you know, we've spent time talking about, geez, are we worried about Scott Frost leaving and stuff like that? I'm just as worried about Eric Shenander leaving because I think he's going to become a hot name, uh, if not after this year, maybe next year, if he keeps this up as a yeah. defensive coach, don't you? I mean, I, I, I think so. I, I, um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not as worried about that. I don't think he's. I think I don't think he's going to be a one-year wonder here at UCF. I think that some other schools might want to see another year. Sure. Uh, I will say this though. He has taught the new philosophy perfectly to this group of team to this group of players. UCF right now, by the way, ninth tied for ninth in the country in turnovers gained. By the way, Cincinnati interestingly tied with them 
in that slot. But um, this was the objective. It's like, we're, you know, yeah, we're probably going to give up some yards because we're going to be on the field for a long time. But we are going to cause havoc. We're going to force turnovers. We're going to play with our hair on fire at 150 miles an hour. And that's what these guys do. Now, sometimes this is, I think this has resulted in some uh, um, borderline, I don't want to say reckless, but um, a, a little bit of overzealous penalties on occasion. But I feel like that's, a, on occasion, a price that you have to pay for the style that you're playing. And they do give up 364 yards a game, which you know isn't all that spectacular. But man, do they force a lot of turnovers, and but, they certainly and we saw that what they did against uh, Tulane. They they didn't just force a ton of turnovers, five for the game. They took three of them back to the house. And again, I, and I said this even before the year, the yard. You know, don't get, don't look, don't study the yardage. Like you mentioned, right. the yards they give up per game. It's very misleading because they're on the field a lot. Because with the style of offense that you're playing with, with the Oregon style of spread, up tempo, no huddle, the defense is going to be on the field a lot. Uh, if you watch the NFL, you want to know which team is on the field the most from a defensive standpoint in the league? It's the 49ers. Yeah. I think they've done studies where the Niners have basically wor- played an extra quarter on defense. And their head coach <laughs> is Chip uh, Kelly. Correct. So I, I'm, what I'm saying is don't, the stats are misleading. Uh, do, don't pay attention to that because it's misleading because they're on the field a lot. And I, you know, so. You know, they, they, I, I feel good with them. And that's why I feel good with them in any game. I, I mean, they've given this team a chance to win every game defensively, uh, except for the Michigan game. And you can't blame it. Michigan's at a different level. Right. I mean, Michigan you know, might win the national championship. So. Exa- exactly. So, uh, I feel good about that matchup against Cincinnati. Now, to the, to your original question about how do you feel about the game? Obviously, you, you brought up the, the, the offense and their struggles. And look, McKenzie obviously is having his struggles. He's a freshman, true freshman. Yeah. We keep, uh, we keep have to, re- we keep having to remind well, ourselves of that, don't we? I do. And, <laughs> He's a and, true and freshman. Juwan Hamilton's a true freshman. Adrian sure. Collins is a true freshman. Well, I think Scott Frost has been honest about that. I think if things, let's be honest, I think if Justin Holman would have stayed healthy and played well, I think they would have probably have redshirted McKenzie. He probably wasn't prepared, ready to be on the field, but they had no choice, and they went with him, and now it's about him getting experience. So what you hope there is that all the struggles he's going through now uh, will pay off next year and beyond. In fact, Jerry O'Neill, the sideline reporter on the broadcast, asked Scott Frost. Because Scott Frost, I guess, took McKenzie Milton on the side, I guess, in the fourth quarter of that two-lane game. And uh, Jerry's like, hey, do you mind if I ask you? on the?" This was on the postgame show. What what? You know, what did you talk to McKenzie about? He's like, and, and I think he told him, and I'm paraphrasing here, don't quote me word for word, but basically was, uh, I'm looking forward to coaching you next, uh, the coach, I enjoy coaching you, and I look forward to coaching you next year when you win the American Conference Player of the Year. Hmm. Offensive Player plays. of the Year. It tells you, though, I think he believes in this kid, and I, and I think Scott. Oh, yeah. Well, he wouldn't have pulled him over all the way over from Hawaii if he didn't. Right, but but I think there's a message to the madness there. I mean, he struggled in this Tulane game, but it's a way to keep him up as far as, you know what, we're going to be positive. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We're going to get better, and you're going to be fine. Isn't that it's so a compl- important to do with especially young players is to instill confidence? When you're 18, 19 years old and you're out there on sure. that stage, it's overwhelming, man. I mean, it's overwhelming sometimes for seniors who are getting their first shot to do it. I mean, you're a true freshman, you're out there, and well, and yeah. that's and, and that I think 
speaks to, I think I know what you were going to say. I think that speaks to Scott Frost's inherent understanding of players in 2016, something that George O'Leary never got. Yeah, I think if you look at the unraveling at the end of the O'Leary there, I think that was the complete opposite. You're right. I mean, he, he was the type that would crack the whip. You know, if you're struggling, I'm benching you. Uh, I'm you know do this and you know at some point players will tune that out and I think that's what we maybe had probably occurred in the last year or two where Scott and I think that's why you know Scott's the complete opposite and I think the players have bought in and I think the players will enjoy that and they appreciate that and I think they're having fun and I think they're playing well and and I think Scott he's a fascinating guy because. You know, when he does these press conferences, he's very down, you know, you know, as far as pregame and all that, he's very low key, doesn't really, you know, say anything drastic. But you could see him on the field. He's very passionate. He's intense. Uh, but you're right. I don't, I don't, you know, he, he, he will be hard on him, but I think he also tries to put the positive spins and I think he understands what he has in McKenzie Milton. He's just a true freshman. And, and he knows that, hey, you know what? You're going to go through some bumps. And I think it helps, too. This guy Frost has played that position. He's played. He's probably gone through those things. And I think he knows, you know what? I'm going to, uh, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And I think that'll go a long way with him and other players. So, um, you know, that's why, to me, for Mackenzie Milton, for this year, what's all, what it's all about, from our, as far as I'm concerned, it's about getting experience and getting the reps. And I think your hope is that, all this reps and all this experience and all this struggles and adversities and everything he's gone, he's going through this year will pay off next year and beyond. And that we talk in a year from now until you're like, wow, what a difference this kid is. And boy, he's mildly grown up. You know what I mean? Type of thing. And I think that's the goal. That's the goal. And, and I think that's what Coach Frost is hoping as well. High expectations, high support. Looking forward to seeing what the Knights can do. Noon kickoff, Military Appreciation Day. Fans, that's I right. believe, get to be on the field after the game. Um, Knights, by the way, about a 75% favorite according to ESPN's Football Power Index. And this game is live at noon at ESPN U uh, at Bright House Network Dave, Stadium. Dave one Lamont, more home Dave, game after that against Tulsa. That's senior day. Dave Lamont will be calling the game with Ahmad Brooks, former linebacker uh, at Virginia, right. I believe, and uh, former Niner, I believe. So they Dave will be Lamont, in the... one of our South Florida guys from going way yeah. back. Correct, correct. So they will be calling the game. And then, by the way, make a note, Nike fans, the Tulsa game television start time will probably be announced late Saturday night or Sunday morning. I know some people are annoyed with that, but uh, that's um, make a note of that. And that's a big day, too, because yeah. that's senior day, last game, football game of the year. But also there's a women's basketball game that day. UCF will take on Virginia Tech, and we don't know the time for that yet because they're waiting on the football kickoff time. So <laughs> right. it's, it, it, everybody's kind of waiting on that stuff, but make, make a note of that uh, this weekend. All right, so we're looking forward to it. And, uh, boy, what a reward it would be to, for this team to get uh, bowl eligible. Hope they can do it against uh, Cincinnati. All right, let's, cha- let's transition over to volleyball where uh, the Knights pick up. Uh, we saw they got the win again at, at uh, USF, and then they got the win again uh, before our last year. Then they get the win against te- uh, Memphis uh, up in Tennessee, and this was key because the Knights got to 20 wins overall. It's the fourth 20-win season for head coach Todd Dagenet and his squad. They defeat Memphis in four to go to 20-7, and 10-4 in the league. Jayla Hervey, 26 kills in this match. And here's the deal. 
for women's volleyball. Right now, the Knights are in fourth place in the league at 10-4 and four overall. They're one loss behind Temple and Cincinnati, who are both at 11-3, and three, and two in the loss column behind the leader SMU at 12-2. and two. Now, we've seen how good these teams are, all three of them. Um, but the Knights are the first team from the American to hit 20 wins this year. And they got four uh, matches to go, including um, – oh, no, excuse me, six matches to go. Sorry about that. They're – this next two at SMU, Thursday night, 8 p.m. in Dallas, and then at Tulsa. Now, we saw the match earlier this season against SMU. We know how good SMU is. They beat the Knights in three um, at the venue back on October the 23rd. Knights did defeat Tulsa earlier this season. Um, but, boy, they would like to return the favor to SMU uh, on the road in Dallas. And then after that, it's their last uh, home weekend of the season against Temple and UConn before going on the road to finish up the regular season at Tulane and Houston the following weekend, which is Thanksgiving weekend. So, um, boy, things have shaped up quite nicely for UCF volleyball this year, hasn't it? 20 wins with six matches to go. It's been a fun year, and they still got things to play for. You're right. I mean, the SMU game is huge. Uh, SMU in first, if you could steal that win on them. This is a critical weekend. To re- this four-game road trip was critical. They're off to a good start, getting those two wins against USF and Memphis. Now you've got Tulsa, SMU, tough places to play. Now they uh, they are behind Cincinnati, by the way. I mentioned the standings, and they have played Cincinnati both times. They've lost both times Correct. to Cincinnati, unfortunately. The so. heck of a race. The yeah. heck of a race. Um, and they've got Temple on November 19th, a game that'll be, I'm um, looking forward to calling that with, uh, Aaron Campbell on the American Digital Network. In fact, we're going to have Aaron, uh, next week to talk about not just that match, but UCF volleyball in general. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, as I just spoke to her and, uh, we're, we're, we're hopefully, uh, we'll make that work. Awesome. Uh, Jeff is the technical expert guy. So, uh, you know, we'll make it work. But, um, look, it's been a heck of a year. You know, and, and, but you're right. I mean, they, they, they have, it, I mean, you don't, I hate saying must win, but it is almost a must win. Uh, if you want to win the regular season title, don't you, Jeff? They, well, have they to. all are at this point because you have yeah. the two matches that you dropped to Cincinnati and, yeah. and all four of these teams at the top of the league right now are, um, USF, by the way, behind the Knights at seven and seven. So they're three games back. So it's really a four horse race at this point. And, yeah, uh, they've separated pull. themselves from the pack. They've separated themselves from the pack. And when I say separate, I'm saying SMU, Temple, Cincinnati, UCF. They've all separated themselves from the rest of the pack in the league. Uh, you know, and it's going to be interesting. I mean, UCF's RPI is 57 coming into this week. You, you and know, it's right can, on the bubble. Yeah, and right if they can beat the SMU the on the road, if you can win on the road against an SMU team that has a 43 RPI. That's a huge, that's a top 50 win. Trust me, that will boost your RPI, especially a road win. That is a huge match. Uh, And then Tulsa, don't let that record uh, be deceiving. You saw them, Jeff, at Tulsa. They they are a talented team that's had some bad breaks this year, but they can play. And uh, so... It's uh, it's an interesting uh, it's a week there, and, and that's going to be a challenge. Let me ask you this question. All right. Todd Dagenet, I don't know if you've been – is very, very uh, much a lot. He's on social media a lot, on Twitter. He tweets a lot, right? I mean, fantastic tweets, too. I recommend following. Making the case 
for Jayla Harvey uh, for player of the year in the conference. Uh, he tweeted that out recently uh, this week. Uh, she won uh, player of the week. Uh, you mentioned. Uh, and this is something I'm looking forward to with Aaron to talk about because she's seen her. And mm-hmm. to me, I think it's between it's a two person race that I, you know, I've done some research in preparation for that Temple game. I think it's her and Jordan Thompson from Cincinnati, who you got yeah. to see. Jordan Thompson. Thompson was fantastic when we saw her. Uh, uh, and you could saw that, and you saw how she got stronger as the match went along. But I'll tell you, uh, Jayla Hervey this year has not gotten enough credit, I think, for the maturity that she has shown. Um, you know, they had to put so much on her shoulders last year because of the injuries. And this year, to see her, she has turned into the go-to player for UCF uh, on the outside hitter position. I mean, and she, and she just continues to get stronger as the season goes by. 26 kills is a ton in a in a match that goes four, um, and I mean, you usually don't see a lot of players get that many in a match that goes five. She got it in a four set match, and uh, I'm and, and I think that she's going to have to be the ones who the one the one to lead UCF in these last uh, six matches. If she continues to play well, that bodes very well. I think that she's going to have to play extremely well against SMU. But uh, the problem that the Knights had against SMU is that they just they're such a solid hitting team. They don't make a lot of errors. So if you're UCF, you have to try and get up and overpower them, I think. And if you're going to do that, Jayla's going to have to have a big match against SMU uh, if the Knights are going to defeat uh, the Mustangs. Jayla Harvey, by the way, second in the conference in kills, 4.89 behind Jordan Thompson, who averages five a game. They were just like that, too, last year. Um, I think it's one of those two for player of the year. Um, and I think it could come down to which, you know, which team finishes ahead in the standings. Right. It could come down to as simple as that. If one of them wins the regular season title, I think that's who the coaches who tend to vote on this stuff will end up voting for. Either way, well, the one thing we can, I think, would feel safe and guaranteed. I mean, she's going to be a first team all conference. Definitely. Uh, without question. And her, and how about Kia Bright, who, uh, had missed all last year, was injured. It's made a big difference, yeah. and and she's you told me great. that. I yeah, hear. she's uh, the the part about her game that's been underrated is her defense. She is such a good two way player, and I think that's why we, we missed her so badly last year. And to see her this year really, really take on that off, you know, swing between that offense and defense role. Um, she uh, she and and coming off of an ACL, and you know that you you're, you're never a hundred percent the year after you bust up your ACL. All the rehab in the world, you're still never 100. percent And it, it takes like a it's that's a two year injury, and to see what she's been able to do this year um, has been remarkable. One other shout out I wanted to give too. Hats off to Allie Sable, the freshman. She's a lefty and she's big too. She's six foot three, and she has uh, stepped into a starting role on right side, and she's been fantastic. She had another double digit kill game. Uh, kill match against Memphis with 10 kills plus a block and another great two-way player because she can play the middle while also hitting on the outs on the outside on the right side as well so future's bright for a true freshman there with Ali Sable and uh, again the Knights have been very fortunate you know to this point you know injuries have not been a problem so far knock on wood and uh, if things continue going the way they're going 
keep that RPI up high. Maybe you steal this match against SMU, bring them back down by one conference match. That'll really help out your RPI as well. So uh, this is a, uh, you're indeed right, Eric. This is a critical weekend for UCF with SMU and Tulsa on the road. And you mentioned Tulsa, by the way, how tough they play. The first time they played them, they played UCF back on October 21st um, at the venue. Uh, yeah, it was a 3 nothing win for UCF in a sweep, but it was competitive in each uh, set, 25-22, 25-23, 26-24. So just because, remember, that's one of the, beauty th- the beautiful things about volleyball is that it could be a blowout in terms of sets, but a close and entertaining match that just goes quickly because each of the sets is close. So, again, chance to do that. They split. At home with these two teams, and they can pick up a pair on the road. Who knows? Agreed. Let's go. <laughs> Have fun with it. So, Don't wish him the best of luck. So, all right. So, as we wrap up here, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend? Well, I, I'm looking forward to the men's soccer tournament. Um, yeah, I want to see Coach Cunningham if they can do this, if they can pull this off. Uh, that USF match is going to be interesting. Looking forward to that Friday night. Obviously, monitor volleyball from yep. a from a distance. We'll be scoreboard and then obviously on the, that one. And then the football team can they get bowl eligible? You know, are we will we get to talk next week about bowl possibilities uh, if they get this win? And uh, that'll be fun because uh, I I think they will, and I think we'll be we'll probably break down their what bowl games they could go. It's very interesting because I've been taking a look at know. the bowl projections myself. I'm looking at actually USA Today right now. Uh, yeah, where do they have us? They have us. Uh, I'm thinking that they're gonna not in St. Petersburg. I'm looking for the Cure Bowl. Where is that? Well, here's the thing about the Cure Bowl. Keep this yeah, in they mind. Have us a Cure, they, they have us right now. Cure Bowl uh, against South Alabama, which is by the way on December the 17th. Correct. Now, I, I, there's been other projections that have UCF going against Georgia Southern, which I would be very appealing with the former assist staff of UCF's coaching staff on that Georgia Southern team uh, with with Tyson Summers there as the head yes, coach. But, that's right. But but keep this is something to keep in mind. And uh, credit to Brandon Helwig on this uh, UCFSports.com because he actually posted about this. The American Conference has eight tie-ins to bowl games. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> correct. The Cure Bowl is the eighth, basically. The thing is, right now, they're on pace to maybe have seven teams eligible for a bowl game. Uh, so for, for, so, so the, the reason I bring that up is for UCF to go to the Cure Bowl, they would have to probably get, they would have to have eight teams eligible for a bowl game to get there. Otherwise, if there's only, let's say, seven, the Cure Bowl probably gets shut out out of the, having an American conference team for the second year in a row. This is what happened to them last year. Right. They didn't get an American because they didn't have enough bowl teams. So don't assume that it's just a lock for the Cure Bowl because unless they were able to work out a deal, a side deal, which is very unlikely, who knows, uh, there has to be eight bowl teams. And we'll break this down in a future podcast. We get closer to it. Um, but, you know, Cincinnati being among the teams are trying to fight for bowl eligibility, SMU among others. But just just keep that in mind. If there's only seven slots, then UCF probably will not end up at the Cure Bowl. They probably at that point, I think the three choices would be, and I don't have not in a specific order, but you know the Miami Beach Bowl uh, at Marlins Park would be in play. The Bahamas Bowl in the Bahamas is in play, and I think the Boca Raton Bowl and uh, where FAU plays. Those would be the three destinations, I think, if. 
UCF does not end up in the Cure Bowl. I think those are the other three destinations that UCF will probably, if they get bowl eligible, will end up in one of those three destinations. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of how I envision it. We'll go in more to depth. Yeah. And we might even break this down, maybe. Well, I've even, uh, got a, I've even got them all pulled up. You ready to take a look? I got, got them from a whole bunch, yeah. of, oh, a whole bunch of different sources. All right, CBS, I believe it is. It's no Stuart Mandel's a Fox. CBS has UCF, Jerry Palm does. does. Jerry Palm. Okay, so he's got UCF against Troy in the Cure Bowl. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Mandel of Fox has UCF in the Cure Bowl against Georgia Southern. That's the one I like. And over on uh, ESPN.com. Mark Schleybaugh has us against Georgia Southern in the Cure Bowl, but Brett McMurphy, our old friend, uh, has us going to Marlins Park for the Miami Beach Bowl on December the 19th against the Ohio Bobcats. Frank Solich, head coach there. No, and I look, again, if there's only seven teams that are bowl eligible, then they may, that might be the destination and what might be Miami Beach. If they get to eight, then I think they will end up in the Cure Bowl. Uh, Alan Gooch obviously runs that bowl. I think it's a win-win for all parties there. I agree so, with I, that, yeah. so I, I think that's something to keep in mind uh, as we go. And we might get into this a little bit more and see what the conference looks like from a bowl standpoint next week and the week after that and so forth to kind of try to pencil this in and uh, give us an idea of where they're headed. But that that's just something. But, 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 but the first thing we need to do is get bowl eligible and win this Saturday. I don't, you know, I know people have brought up the whole five and seven and academics and all that. I, I let's just get the sixth win. Get the and six just... and get there, and don't, yeah. don't leave any question about it. And you know what? Even better, take one of the last two and get it, get it to seven, or if you can win them both, get to eight. How about that? Beat yeah, USF. just take them one. So take them one at a time. Start with Cincinnati. Take care of them at home and uh, get to six wins and yeah. and uh, go from there. You're right. I agree. So what are you working on this week? Well, I mean, I'll be, uh, I will be, uh, probably at the Cincinnati game. I was trying to think this Saturday. Uh, I got a lot of stuff I got to prepare for for next week. And I mentioned, uh, I got, I'm going to be working the volleyball telecast on Friday, November the 18th, American Digital Network. We'll get into more of this next week. UCF and volley, uh, against Temple, which could be a huge match. We're very excited about that. And I'll be working again with Aaron Campbell, who we will have on this podcast next week. And we'll talk some volleyball then. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's really what I want to push. Uh, first of all, I want people to go out to the matches. But if you can't make it out to the match, uh, you can watch us on the American Digital Network on the American.org. And you can even, heck, go to the match and then watch it on archives. Uh, that's right. Put them up on, on YouTube now. So um, I'm, uh, that's the main one of the many things. I'm not even going to go into the other stuff I'm working into because there's too many to, to, to mention. But uh, that's the main thing I'll be focused on. I will be filling in, uh, hosting, co-hosting Tuck and O'Neill this Friday with Jerry, uh, who's happy to finally not have to travel somewhere on a Friday. You'll get to be home. So I'll be filling in for Mike Tuck as well, and uh, we'll get you ready for that UCF-Cincinnati game. Uh, Gary Paris, uh, the radio analyst, will be on the show there at 5.30 to talk some UCF football uh, on that stuff. And uh, I believe you are on weekly with uh, Eric Casilius, are you that's not? Correct. Uh, yeah, that's correct. I will be usually we do it Wednesdays, but sometimes we do it on Thursdays or Tuesdays uh, whenever he whenever he's got the time slot. But, yes, I do a little weekly check in with uh, our well, friend Eric Casilius, the most convincing man in sports radio. Uh, well, I'll be I'll be uh, filling in this uh, next week on that show producing. So you'll hear from me, Jeff, and I'll let you know when you're right. on, and I'll let everybody else know. Right. So uh, which will be good. Yes, I'll be up a lot early next week. That's what I'm saying. I have a very busy week next week, but uh, it's a fun to send thing. you some coffee. So 
please do. I, I strongly that that would be fantastic. But uh, otherwise, enjoy everybody. And again, I, I, again, reminder: make sure you watch UCF Men's Soccer American Digital Network Friday. That's USF seven to beat that goal. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, I'll be watching that on Friday night. That's number one on my bucket list. We got the football game on Saturday, and then follow volleyball as they track uh, the road to Tulsa and SMU. And, uh, it's a fun time. And oh, by the way. We got basketball, Jeff. That's right. Basketball. Next week, we baby. Bas- basketball gets started up. Here we go. We got women's basketball on Sunday, too. I'll be uh, I'll be doing some... Uh, by the way, I will be doing public address for the women's basketball game against South Look Alabama on Sunday. So that'll be uh, fun to do as well. So. And you're going to be putting up some basketball content, too. We haven't forgotten, you guys. We haven't right. forgotten. Look for some basketball content in the coming days as well. I know you, you went to media day. And uh, talk yeah, to some talk players. To BJ, some- yeah, talk to BJ mm-hmm. Taylor. Talk to Zai Lewis. Um, BJ was fun to talk to, and he looks like he's ready for the season to get started, man. So this is going to be, you know, we're hit, we're hitting uh, UCF the uh, the sort of fall equinox of UCF sports with the springs with the fall sports coming to an end and basketball getting started. So, and don't forget, you and can- we're working. Oh, and we're working on a, a surprise. We're hoping for a surprise or two, if not next week, but during the basketball season of some guests that the night fans will enjoy. Stay tuned for that one as well. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Don't forget to hit us up on Facebook and subscribe to our email newsletter, Black and Gold Banneret. Good talking to you, Eric. Take it easy, brother. It's a pleasure, Jeffrey. Talk to you next week. And thank you for listening once again. For Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.